I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. John Langley will be the GM at a soon-to-open Greenpoint restaurant called Torst, focusing on artisanal beer. He's had a career as a beer sommelier in the New York market and is also a wine lover. We'll hear what he has to say about his new project. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you too. So uh, you've been a beer sommelier in New York, and now you're opening up a new beer-themed project in, in Greenpoint in Brooklyn. And why don't we talk a little bit about how you get involved with the beer and the wine? Where, was that, where did that shift come about? Sure. I mean, you know, I think initially it was just, uh, I mean, why anyone ever gets involved in alcohol when they're perhaps a little bit younger. Um, and I, I specifically, of girls. mostly girls, I found that it made me more attractive to the opposite sex <laughs> and more charming. Um, but even, even when I was young, I would just was very into like, I just couldn't drink like junky beer. I just didn't like it, but yeah. I, I did like, even like Guinness. And so even when we would, you know, get the older guys to go buy beer for us. We were at least doing that. And then by the time I was 21, I had um, convinced my parents that <clears throat> that uh, brewing beer was a good idea. And they got me some beer brewing equipment. Wow, you were brewing your own at 21. Yeah. That's a good way to save money, though. To, yeah. You know what I mean? It is It is now. At the time, I, I actually, I thought that because I was, you know, right. in college and, and, and poor. And I thought, this is going to be great. We're going to save so much money. And then I started costing out, like, the price per bottle. And this was still... In the Midwest, it's cheaper anyway, but also um, at the time, you know, you could get a, a six-pack of beer for seven or eight bucks. Right. And I was like, oh, actually, I'm only saving about five cents a bottle. That's not really that much, but... Um, to get you invited to more parties? Like, hey, we want you to bring the beer because we can't buy any. Right, Like yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah. Like you you're know, meeting all these great 19-year-olds? Yeah, you're like, hey, do you know why I make my own beer? <laughs> um, yeah. But we did, um, you know, we, we would show up, um, you know, you go to parties with a bunch of homemade beer, and, you know, we would do a lot of, like... Um, you know, liqueurs and kind of stuff. But not, we couldn't, clearly weren't distilling anything. But um, yeah, you show up at a party with a bunch of homemade alcohol. It's always a good time. It's a good story to tell. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. it was also kind of early in the craft beer movement, given your age and, you yeah. know what I mean? <clears throat> Sorry. Um, yeah, I feel like, at, at, you know, at the time we'd go to like big tastings and, you know, beer festivals and what have you, because um, I think they're fun when you're young. At this point, like, I hate going to those things. Um, but, you know, you, you go to those and... Um, I felt like by the time I was like 24, I'd tried everything that was available to me. Like I yeah. just got all of them, and then you know you're just like, well, I've how have I run out of options? There's like hundreds of these beers out there. But it hasn't done since then. Hasn't it just exploded? Exploded like crazy. Yeah. So now it's every time I go to one of these things, there's so many beers I haven't tried, and I think, how? All right, let's <laughs> you know rein it in a little bit. Now I feel like I can't keep up. But um, because it we, used to be there was just tray mots. Now it's like <laughs> yeah. four, five, six, seven, eight mots. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like what's going on? So many. I know it's crazy. Um. But it's cool. So that's that's sort of how I got into it um, yeah. initially. Was and you you were kind of into food too, or no? Yeah, I um, you know, at some point to, uh, you know, to, just to work while I was in school. You know, after I got done working like really stupid jobs, like um, running the film projectors at a movie theater. I mean, just as what as a job that like theater, I clearly John? wasn't interested in. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was dicey at best. Um, but you know, things that like you know I just did as a job. Yeah, um, not that it was like, something I was particularly money, passionate like we all about. do as kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I had started working in, um, like even just bar kitchens, like cooking. And so that was fun. And I remember once, 
cooking food, like my roommate and I were like, oh, we should, you know, we're going to, we're, we're low on funds, but we had a lot of weird things sitting around. Um, you know, he's, he's Indian and his mother was always trying to get us to like cook Indian food, uh, which I do now wonderfully. But at the time I had never done it before. And I was like, lentils, man, you know how many millions of people cook lentils every day successfully? Like, and I gotta be at least as smart as some of them. Right, right. right. It was. They can't all be fantastic geniuses. They can't, but you would be surprised. <laughs> I'd never realized how much you could like ruin something and i just i made this soup and it was inedible and it ended up using all of our like resources in the house that were not condiments <laughs> and i think we ended up eating like mustard or hot sauce sandwiches because it was like all we had left it's very uh you know low fat <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah so at that point i was like i really have to learn how to do this properly um so you know we i, I cooked a bunch just during school and then um in an effort to raise funds at some point i made the jump to front of house which i liked more because i'd rather be chatty and hang out and like you know turn people on to wine and, and beer. And you're great at that. I've seen you do it. Yeah, thank you. Um, and that yeah, that's more fun than like. I think it just takes a certain kind of person to work in a kitchen. And I realized at one point, a I was never going to be as fast as the guys that were really good at it. And b I just like I didn't have that the dedication to doing it. And I think you have to to really love cooking to sit back in those kitchens and pound dish out like after dish just all night long. It's it's exhausting. It's not for everybody. It's, like, you know, <laughs> it's I mean? not for most people. Like, I mean like. Even I think people that do it, I, you know, I just think some of these people have to be miserable. It's a really, really intense job. Well, at some point, you you uh, find yourself old in the old uh, Nuevo Yorka. You, mm -hmm. you moved to New York and you got some restaurant jobs and uh, you kind of continued into a beer wine direction. How did that play out? Um, yeah, you know, honestly, when I first came to New York, I just, because there were I had never heard of like beer psalms or cicerones or any of that stuff. I just assumed when I came here, that if I was going to make money front of house doing what I wanted to do, that I would I would get into wine. So when I first came here, that's what I started doing. And, and, and you know, perhaps I was a bit naive. And the people that I sort of knew in the industry out here, I was like, you know, I'm not going to fall into the nepotism thing. I just think that's silly, which it is. But I'll, the flip side is if you can get your foot in the door anywhere, like, then, you know, it's not that big of a deal to be like, hey, buddy, can you get my resume, like, even looked at? You, you wanted to do it all on your own? I did, and I failed miserably. I got to say, trying to do it all on your own is the dumbest thing really you can dumb. possibly try to do. Yeah, that's, <laughs> Like, you know, out of personal experience. Uh -huh. you if, know the, what if I mean? there's one bit of information I could pass on to people <laughs> looking for a job in New York, it, that just don't, that's, it's just dumb. Call on the people that yeah. owe you any kind of favor. Exactly. I mean, there's just so many people in this city that are trying to do it and that if you don't know anyone it's like why you know you know it's, it's that whole thing of everyone wants new york experience but you can't get new york experience and, uh, and so you just it's like schrodinger's cat is it dead yeah, i don't know it doesn't have new york experience no it's definitely dead <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know yeah exactly um so you know you know hopped around a few places um you know i, I co-managed a wine store for a while and worked at a few like beer bars um but it wasn't until i have um, a good friend of mine caleb um, Caleb Ganser, who's at DB, oh, yeah, yeah. DB Bistro. I like right that now. guy a lot. He's a nice dude. And he and I worked at the same place as in Illinois. Like we, uh, oh, we, you knew him from back college days. The same like wine bar we both like bartended and served at and the same wine store we both worked at. Um, he actually trained me at my first serving job at this like little um, Ecuadorian restaurant back in Illinois like years ago. Um, so he he briefly tempted DBGB when they were sort of in between sommeliers after uh, Colin left Oh, okay, sure. And then before Carrie took over, and then um, uh, Haley was doing the beer there for a while. But in that sort of interim period, he was filling in. And so he was like, you know. Hey, I know yeah, a guy. I know a guy. So, All right. you know, so that's, that's sort of how I got in with the, the Daniel Ballou. And that plan. seemed to work well for you. It was like fish and water, I thought. Like you went in, you rocked out of, you know, you you got pretty quickly involved in beverage. You were there like a year, and then you started the beer sommelier. Yeah. Um, yeah, which was nice. Um, yeah, the... the, yeah, the the Haley, the lady who was doing it before me, decided to, to go work on a different project. And so, you know, it's nice. By the time she left, I sort of, you know, was the, I, I think, the logical shoe in for the position. I had, you know, done a lot of the construction in the beer room already, like building shelves and doing a lot of the organizing because I, I just. You wanted to make it happen. Yeah, I wanted to make it happen. And help out. And you yeah. were a bartender and it affected your life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and also, you know, at home, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself an organized person, and I know what my room looks like, and I just like I have this great fear that my workplace is going to turn into it too, and I become very. I'm totally like that. Yeah, I look like it's a shambles at home, and yet at work, it's like it must be right there. Where is the stapler? 
did you move it? You know, yeah, what I mean? exactly. Yeah, like, people yeah. have seen my house and they're like, "Why?" I mean, I just can't believe you came and yelled at me about this the other day. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know, yeah. You, you see what happens? I don't even know where my pants are in here. You know, so yeah, which is nice. So I think I'd already put in enough, like you know, work that when it came time, I mean, I was under the impression that I was clearly the next logical choice, and I guess they came <laughs> around on that, which is sweet of them. But. But they also had, a, they have a big beer program, yeah. and they needed someone to really look after because it's a huge endeavor. Like, there's a lot there. Yeah, and as far as like you know them sort of promoting the restaurant, that's one of the things to do. Like, oh, we have this. It's the you know the Daniel Blue restaurant with a bunch of crazy beers, and it's in the Bowery, and people dig on it. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, I think um, one of the things that I've always, I mean, I feel like they hire really good beverage people. For the the Balud restaurants, I and, agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I think we we've all been pretty lucky. The people that've worked there, we've been really good. And also, to their credit, they generally like were pretty hands off. You know, I think they were like, clearly, you know what you're doing. Otherwise, we wouldn't hire you. So you just do what you have to do to make with this the beer side. Yeah, yeah, because they're probably like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, why don't you take care of it? Yeah, and you know, honestly, every month I kept waiting for the phone call of like. How much money did you spend on beer last month? Right. But relatively, it probably doesn't look like that much. Yeah. Like, I, I case was, of beer, case of wine. Yeah, exactly. You know I, mean? I would just I just would tell myself like my inventory was like a drop in the bucket compared to like Raj's or like Madrigal's. I mean, like not even and I yeah, I, I tripled the inventory there. Cause I thought it's silly that we don't have like a seller program. Um it's not like So what did that mean? You were sellering beer? Like yeah. you were aging it? Mm-hmm. And why would you, just because I'm an idiot mm-hmm. and I don't know, why, why would you do that? Like, what would help? Um, you know, I mean, it's it's clearly not for, like, all beers or even most beers. You know, I mean, it's beer just like wine. Most of it's made to be drunk fairly young. Um, but there are some things which I think, um, you know, really, really do well with a little bit of age on them. Like, stronger like, beers like barley wines. I mean, like anything else, like, I think a slow oxidation um, can do wonderful things for certain drinks, and um, and so you were you were kind of squirreling away a few things that you thought would benefit from from some time. Yeah, and like I didn't want to like just jump jump in like all at once and be like, oh, we're gonna I'm just gonna buy like another like ten grand worth of beer and jam it in some corners. Um, so it was like a slowly like I would just the inventory just started going up a little bit here, a little bit there. I built some more shelves. I converted actually a refrigerator upstairs. I mean, which luckily didn't work that well to begin with as a refrigerator um, into a sort of uh, beer cellar that runs around 49 degrees. You know, a little bit colder than I think would be ideal, but I think that's still, it's better than keeping it in like the 38 degree cold room. So if I were to age some beer at home, if I were into barley wines, mm-hmm. uh, what, what temperature would I be looking at? I think, I mean, yeah, 55. I mean, 55, I like a pretty, wine cellar? Yeah. Like I could put it in with my wine. Uh-huh. And that, that tends to, to do well. Any, any colder, I feel like... Um, you know, it's like when you when you lager beers or whatever, you know, you get them very, very cold. And I've often found certain beers, you lo- I don't know if maybe all of like the, I think it loses something when you cellar them too cold. Is that I, true? I, cellar I, them too cold, not serve them too serve cold. Them, but. Definitely serve them, but I found like even like maybe, I don't know, I know that when you lager things, a lot of the heavy particles kind of fall out anyway. Okay. And I've often found with certain beers that I feel like they just lose something. Amazing. About them. Like they, a little, a little warmth does, I think, uh, does a lot of wonder for beer. Huh. Because, you know, with wine, a lot of times people prefer it colder. Like, they're like, oh, if it's not 55, how about a little colder? Because then it ages more gracefully. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there's like a give and take. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I just didn't know that. Yeah. You know? But as I always learn from you, because you know a lot about beer, and mm-hmm. I don't. So yeah. that's why we like to have you on the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think a lot of it is since most beer that you would age is bottle conditioned. Like, there's they re-yeast it or whatever. Yeah. Um, that because it's still alive, like, you don't, like, gas it or like you know put sulfites or anything to sort of like stop a lot of that activity that a lot of the aging process if it, for me with beer is is also just that the yeast continuing to work and do things so it's, it's really a different program than a lot yeah. of wines yeah so amazing yeah so like the whole like not to beat a dead horse but like the whole natural wine thing mm-hmm. like natural beer it's a lot of it's natural beer in a way like it's yeah. it's still working in there yeah i am um, you know, I always found like the the natural wine corollary to be more like like the lambics uh-huh, and the, yeah, and the sure. beer, which are you know spontaneously fermented. You go into some of those old houses, and they're just they just have these big open vats, and there's just yeast and bacteria flying around everywhere, and they have somehow formed this little community of you know Local. microorganisms that just Local make organisms. everything sort of it work. So no, I mean, no matter what you do, you can't make that beer elsewhere because the entire like environment 
the flora of the program. Is yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the I think the closest you get to any sort of like real beer terroir is like the actual like open fermentation places and all the microflora that you find in the air in, in you know different Have regions. You had a chance to visit some different beer making areas. Yeah, I um, you know, years ago I lived in Germany for a summer. I actually worked for a hair clipper company. Oh, in well. the Black Forest. Like I see that you're not using it much anymore. <laughs> like, actually, at the time, clearly you don't own yeah. stock. <laughs> no, I. Um, I've actually. Uh, I you know I I never at the time I had really long hair and like a gigantic. Beard. I've seen your driver's license. Yes, I know. Yeah, it was it was bad, and I would wear the hair in two braids because it was so long. Um, until I realized I look like a jerk. Well, you just look like the cover of some <laughs> southern rock band yeah, <laughs> from you know, like 1977. You yeah, know? yeah. At one point, I heard one of the the German people. They're like, "Oh, you'll you'll recognize him when he shows up. He looks like uh, Asterix from." Sure. From, I was like, Did, really? I get Lucky Luke okay, a lot. Yeah, Lucky Luke a lot. Go. That's yeah. a good one. So, so what was it like visiting the old uh, German breweries in the Black Forest? It was cool. I mean, there's a lot of like small little little breweries over there. Um, but I got to tell you, you know. At the time, I definitely didn't really drink a lot of lighter beers. Like, I've always tended to, to go bolder. Um, and I was so sick of Pilsner and wheat beer. I remember going to Strasbourg one day and being like, oh, my God, French ales, uh, which, you know, it was like Fisher. It wasn't even like anything good. Right, I found right, out, like, right. You know, the, the Alsatian version of like a Dewey Reed. Sure. And I was so excited to not drink wheat beer yeah. or Pilsner. I, I can't even imagine, you know. Um, you know, I've since come more around on them. I think like a really well, well-made Pilsner. I mean, it, there's it's such like a precise, especially during the summer. Especially during the or summer, a wheat beer. You know, yeah. I just you know, people go. You know, you go on like tirades against like oh like oh this is like it's just like wine. <laughs> it's just like wine. <laughs> you, know? you know, I'm not drinking any more Sauvignon Blanc like it, that kind yeah, of stuff. Exactly. You know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, come around on it. But what do you think about the? I mean, what would you scoping out the American beer scene? You've mm-hmm. been a buyer at one of the bigger. Uh, beer restaurants in New York, and now you're moving on to a new project, very involved with beer. So you kind of know what's out in the market. I mm-hmm. mean, what do you think the scene is like? And is there a lot of diversity? Is there less diversity? Is there uh, good pricing? Is it more expensive? Uh, what, what are you actually seeing in the market? Well, I've definitely, you know, it, it's. I think it's getting a little more expensive. Yeah. And I think, comparatively speaking, I mean, I. And I know other people like this too, having the benefit of also really liking wine and unfortunately really liking like Northern Rhone and Burgundy, that I look at beer, even expensive beer, I'm like, that's pretty cheap, you know? Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Comparatively speaking, of like even like inexpensive, like compared to the Ravino I was drinking recently. Exactly, you know? I am, which I remember one day waking up and realizing I'd bought a bottle drunk. Yes. From a a friend. We knew each other at the time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, huh, look at that. Yeah. (laughs) It's weird. It's amazing. I can't pay rent, but I have this wonderful wine. Yeah, perhaps my landlord will take it. <laughs> right. His barter. Yeah, barter exactly. and trade. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I have noticed like, you know, especially I found there's a certain, you know, like the a lot of the Danish beers that are coming in, you know, and unfortunately, just like the way that a lot of it has to do with like imports and like the way the dollar is or like Swiss beer. So the dollar's weak against. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's getting better. But like, I think a lot of those places where it might cost more money to make the beer compared to compared to here. Okay. I mean, Denmark also not like a big place. Right. You it's, know? The volume is a little different. Yeah. Or like, you know, any of the Japanese beers, you know. I don't see a lot of them, like compared to what's made. You yeah. You know what I mean, here. Yeah, there's like not still. a lot, but, and they're, but they're not cheap, any of them, unfortunately, right. you know. Right, so, you well, know, the I mean, Italians are the worst. It's the, like, God damn, how much money do you want for this? I know, that it is the worst. And <laughs> you, know I, you know what I mean? At least, you know, you can justify like, oh, like the Swiss beers, like the Swiss Frank is just killing it. Right. You know, I and... Especially the what's a, the brasserie, uh, the French oh, Montagne beers, so good, so good, and I, I love those beers. And I also understand like the process he's going through is intense, and it's so when, when I buy a bottle and it costs me like twenty something bucks, which again compared to revenue is very cheap. Um, I think well, okay, that's like I can justify that the Swiss Frank, the process, and then I sometimes I get the Italian beers, and, and I do like a lot of them very very much. Me too. Which is unfortunate because I'll be yeah. like, hey, who who do you think you are <laughs> I know. charging this? You Just because you get to wear Prada. Right, you know, and uh, you know, I know there's there's one. It's called Tipo Pills. It's a Pilsner. Um, yeah, by, is that that made by the convicts? Is that that one? No, no, no. That oh, one's okay. good too. The, the, oh, okay. the, the Palza Cafe. Uh, this is by Italiano. Is the name of the brewery, and it's so good. And if I could just keep it on at any program I had permanently, I would. Yeah. I mean, like the kegs, just they're expensive. Yeah. I mean, and you hit a point where you're like, how much can I logistically charge for a Pilsner, even though it's just amazingly good? Right. You know, and you. 
I think you top off pretty early on Pilsner and how much you can really charge for them. Is that true? Like, what what are the thresholds for what's I mean, possible? Like, for me, I'm like, oh, well, you, unless it's like some old classic wine from a classic region mm-hmm. with some age, you can't charge more than 20 a glass. Yeah, exactly. So what's it like for beer? I mean, like, realistically, like, if I was selling somebody a pint of something, you said, you know, like like Pilsner or a Pale Ale or a Stout, nothing, like, too crazy. Something, I mean, like, if I, if you came into a bar and I was like, you know, 12 bucks for a pint of of lager, you'd be, I don't know, I would be like, who, no, I'm not yeah. paying that. No, that's right. ridiculous. Even if it's really good, it's still, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I'll pay that for something, yeah, with either a little bit of age on it or something like rare or something crazy, but, you know, I just, I don't want to pay $12 for a pint of beer. Right. But, you know, the the price difference on like that Tipo pills versus like a Budweiser, it's, I mean, it's in a factor of like nine or 10. I mean, it's, it's a wow, lot more expensive. that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I mean, either you, you run it on, in a program and you just think, well, I love this beer and we're just right. not going to make money on it. Right. Which is what I've done before because I do think it's a great beer. And you make money on something else that you makes make it money on something in, else. The, in the wash, as yeah. they say, in the yeah. beer, in yeah. the beer business. Exactly. In the wash, make it in the wash. Um, yeah. But but you were also serving smaller at DBGB. Mm-hmm. You had pints, but you also had smaller format. And pools. that's I found. And like, you know, you get some. I found some people like that, you know, because you're so used to doing pint glasses. And, yeah. I, you know, hopefully I, this, we're going to do all wine glasses at the new place. Really? Which I'm excited about. Just That's two cool. glasses. Yeah. You know, um, but I found that some people, if you're used to drinking everything in pint glasses, I found people that don't even like the, the tulip glasses, the Belgians, and they're like, well, where's the rest of my beer? Right. You know, I mean, I think. Is that a very American thing to do? Is that pints? an Irish, American yeah, it's, kind it's, of it's tradition? Irish or, you know, in, you know, the whole British Isles and then America. They, um, like, I want more. Like, yeah. kind of thing. I mean, you also look at traditionally, it's like the alcohol levels in the various regions and um, the styles of beer that they would drink, you know? I mean, right. you don't necessarily want an imperial pint of like 8% alcohol Belgian like right. double. Because you might not be able to get up. Yeah, exactly. So, but like in Japan, they mm-hmm. drink from very small glasses. Yeah. Like often chilled, very small glasses that are not warm pint glasses sure yeah you know what i mean like it, which which i i also you know that's how they do it in 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 Köln also you know they do the kolsch they got those little tiny they're like what 200 uh, milliliter glasses and it's yeah, great your beer sure. never warms up your never beer never flat. warms up it's yeah. always fresh they keep it in the bottle and they share it amongst themselves yeah. like f- four guys will share one beer and then <laughs> they'll get another beer and share that beer you know what i mean they don't they don't it's not like the one it's i think it's very american to be like that's my car and i'm not using public transportation you yeah, know what yeah, i mean yeah. uh-huh. like and that's my beer <laughs> like but in japan it's so like hey we're it's a community society yeah. and everyone's like family or whatever so and it like i think it's a business bonding thing like yeah. these are my these are my guys at the office and so you all sit down and you order one beer you pour it for four guys or five guys and then you order another beer that you pour for yeah which i th- i mean for me like I, I, you know, I, I very rarely drink at home. Like, even if I'm by myself watching a movie, it's not like I'm going to sit around and, like, drink a bunch of crazy beer or, like, oh, I've got That's this. That's kind of disappointing to hear. Well, I'm, I sort of imagine you watching, like, Red Sonia with, yeah. like, <laughs> like a Belgian triple. Red Sonia. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, or something like that. Yeah, sitting you know, around in, like, my robe. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Velvet. That's probably red burgundy yeah, robe. Yeah, I do, yeah. Drinking out of a stein or something. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes. I just, I, I, I like sharing yeah, me too. Yeah, so like even like a small bottle, I would rather drink like a dozen different small bottles and just share them. You know, there's something more fun. Or it's that same thing with wine. You're like, yeah. oh, what do you? Oh, you like it? You talk. It's a talking thing. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, when someone else is like, I don't like it, that really affects me. Like if I'm drinking someone and they're like, no, I don't, I'm not digging it, then I'm like, I start to dig it less. You know? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And like you know, yeah, you're t- talking like, oh, we we can talk about how we experience something like that, and then. That's way way more fun than being like, oh, let me let me tell you about the experience I had and like subject you to like my own personal view of what something tasted like, which and, you know. I always limit. found you were a good lis- listener when I because yeah. we've worked together, mm-hmm. and I always thought that you were great at listening to guests come in. You mm-hmm. know, you can do that. But I think that's like a pretty key bartender trait in general. But you're good at it. You yeah. know what I mean? Thank you. And so you did bring some beer to share, so maybe we should uh, crack some open and see what we got there. Sure. I brought a couple. These are actually both made um, by Evil Twin Brewing. Okay. Is like one of those guys involved in a new project, like with consulting or something? Yeah, yeah. he'll be uh, consulting on the new restaurant um, that I'll be uh, managing. You're going to be the GM, right? I'm going to be the GM. What's it going to be called? 
Uh, Turst. Okay. How do I spell that? Is that like T U R S T? Um, it is actually <laughs> T, and then there's a Danish letter. Oh. It's uh, you know, the O with the slash that looks like oh, the zero. Oh, the badass O? Yeah, the badass O. I think the name of the letter is actually the sound it makes, which is like a ear. <laughs> sort of like the Danish equivalent of like O. I knew a guy in third grade who made that same sound. <laughs> I'm sure he was very popular. <laughs> um, but yeah, he uh, he um, he brews beer, and he's uh, one of the, the gypsy brewers. You know, these these people, he doesn't... What's that mean? He doesn't own a physical brewery. He doesn't have a brewery. He owns a brand, and he uh, goes and brews in other people's breweries. Is that a more common model these days? It, it, it is, um, with with various degrees of success. I think the people that do it well, um, like this gentleman, Yuppa, uh, there's a guy named Brian who does a Stillwater beer. What about Pretty Things? Do pretty, they do that Yeah, Pretty Things, while? Dan and Martha at Pretty Things. And the people who do it well, they, they do an exceptional job, I think. Is it like basically the startup cost behind like having a brewing apparatus so high that people are like, I need to do this for a while till I can make some dough. Yeah, it's it's expensive. And, you know, a lot of people also would just, um, there are places out there that are designed to just, you know, basically rent themselves out. So it's like custom crush, but for beer. Yes. Yeah. on the wine side. Mm-hmm. So what do we got here? So this is a beer called Epilogue. Um, no slash through that O, though. No yeah. slash through that O. It is a, um, like a sort of a, a Belgian-style strong ale. Yeah, it's good. Um, aged in Brunello casks. Oh, it is. Yeah. Wow. So it's, um, I mean, I don't think the Brunello so comes out too strong, but I think you get a little bit of Venice. cabernet bar- barrels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They've been through a few. <laughs> um, but it's cool. It's something that um, I had bought, actually, I think we had it in the cellar at DBGB for a little over, maybe about a year at oh, this point. thanks for sharing. Yeah, sure. Douche. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I drink a lot of that uh, pork slap. Oh uh, yeah, the, the butternuts. The, yeah, yeah. The, the that six stuff point. is good. No. Yeah, I, I could just uh, slam that one down. Mm-hmm. I, I, maybe that's not the connoisseur thing to say about no. beer. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would like to say at this point that I don't slam beers at any, you know, in mm. any gatherings. But that would that would just be a flat out lie. Oh yeah, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> again, I was believing you. Because you're, you know, you're a sophisticated beer guy. Yeah, you know, but uh, sophisticated beer guy or not, you know, I think uh, anyone who tells you they they don't, they don't occasionally want a shotgun, a tall boy of something, I'm like, yeah, okay, I don't believe you. Well, they call it the boat races in the in the wine trade. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> boat races. That's nice. So how come? I mean, you must know the answer. Not that you're responsible for it, but how come there's no girls at beer tastings? Like you go to the beer tasting and you're like, where, where, where's the other half of the population? Like, yeah, it's totally different than a wine tasting. Like you throw a champagne tasting and you can't, you, you know, there's more girls in there than that. Like I you know. can't, you know. And, and I don't know. I don't know if it's like a, like a spinal tap kind of thing where they're just scared of. The, are they the armadillos? Are, are girls just not into no. beer? That no. like is it just not something that appeals to them as a culture? No, I think, and I think it's just changing. I think a lot of it just had to do at some point with, you know, traditionally who was into it and who wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think beer has always presented itself as like a feminine drink. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, you know, I know a lot of women who are who are very into beer. And I think it's is that true? Yeah, and it's you know it's coming around again. It's definitely often a sausage fest of sorts. Um, but I think well, beer and sausage yeah, can go yeah, well together. Exactly, exactly. But um, you know, I think. I know a lot of women who actually get pissed and they're like, I don't know why everyone thinks this is just like a man's blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hey, I didn't say that. I never said that. <laughs> that, was that was levy. That was levy. You know, I, I just think, I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. I think maybe beer has always presented itself as a sort of like masculine, you know, go to a pub, you know, very large glasses kind yeah, of thing. because of the pint glasses. <laughs> yeah. Because of the pint glasses. You need a large hand. Um, right. So, uh so walk me through the strong ale category. I mean, what are we talking about here? What's what's well, a strong ale versus a different ale? Sure. Um, so this one, he, um, you know, I don't know if he would sort of like in between a few different like categories of beer. Um, the Belgians, this would sort of be, it's not quite as like brown and chocolatey as like a double, but mm-hmm. they just tend to be in that 8 to 10% alcohol range, sometimes up to 12. Um, this one is about 8. Um, they tend to be brewed with a little bit of sugar. So, like, adding sugar to your malt base is, like, is pretty popular in a lot of, of brewing countries, even though, you know. Does that raise the alcohol level? It does without necessarily raising, like, the viscosity. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So, um, you know, I know it's 
fairly frowned upon in the winemaking world anymore to like oh people do it all the time but yeah people do it all the time but it's nice you know in beer if especially because when you uh you know you extract all your sugars from the grains i mean there's a lot of things that aren't fermentable is that true yeah or like you know sugars that just aren't fermentable or like whatever else heavy proteins and all that stuff and if you make a 10 to 12 percent alcohol beer that's all grain they tend to be very dense and very heavy because so, things didn't make it all the way through yeah and that that's fine they can be quite good yeah um but traditionally, a lot of the, like the Belgian brewers, they do it. And then like pretty much if you're adding white sugar, I mean, that is 100% fermentable. So you you sort of um, increase the perception of like dryness in the beer. I see. You know, I mean, not always. Some people go a little overboard, but. Um, do you think as a culture, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just looking at it in a wine perspective, but do you think as a culture we went from like brand buying, like I always buy this brand of beer mm-hmm. to uh, so many styles that it really only made sense to buy seasonally. Like, boy, mm-hmm. I feel like a, a Saison in the summer and I feel like a strong ale in the winter. And because this, to me, maybe I'm just, again, looking at it in a wine perspective, but I couldn't drink this during the summer, but it's great yeah. now. It's great now. Has that, has, Amer- has American taste changed based on just the diversity of styles that are available? Like, is that what kind of helped break the brand model? I think so. You know, I think especially as like small brewers, it makes sense. I think it's a business model for them to do. You know, most of them have, like, their year-round releases. Yeah. And then most of them also do, like, seasonals, like, either, like, a monthly or a quarterly kind of thing. Sure. Even, like, Sam Adams and stuff. Like, yeah. a fairly big brewery does seasonals. Yeah, a fairly big brewery that I think recently um, has tried to get back to its, like, craft brewing roots. Is as, that true? I don't know. I yeah, have no idea. Yeah, they have. I mean, uh, you know, whatever your feelings are about them as, like, a, a microbrewery, I mean, they're clearly not, if you can get it in airports everywhere, they can't be that small. But um, I think... I'm Perignon roll. Yeah, exactly, exactly, you know. Um, you know, I think they're just trying to, to reclaim that and do some more seasonal stuff and experiment a little bit more and, you know. Small batch it out. I mean, but the, like, I find, like, the Burgundian model is so popular with wine because it's like, well, why sell one wine to you when we could sell you five? Like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, if we have different things, then you'll buy all of them. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> like, because yeah. you'll be curious to try the different ones, whereas in one model, we sold you one wine, one bottle, and the other one, we sold you six, yeah. you know? Sure. And, like, and I think there's a lot of that, too. I think that's, I mean, that's also led to, like, a big, you know, like, it's just a massive increase in the amount of different beers available. Yeah. I just think with every brewery, like, you're not just getting their, like, four or five year rounds and a few seasonals. They're doing all that, and they'll be like, oh, we offer this beer and, like, this barrel and this barrel and this barrel, and we're doing, like, oh, we're going to ferment this one. It's basically the same beer, but we're going to make it with Britannomyces, so it's kind of funky and tart. I mean, as a if you want to have a a comprehensive beer selection at a restaurant now, mm-hmm. what does that entail in terms of numbers of selections in America? Like, if you, I'm going to have a restaurant in America, I'm going to have a great beer list. How many selections is that to really have a great list, given the fact that there's so much beer now? There is. You know, I think... I mean, you know, I mean it, there's that level of which you can basically, I think, you take your limitations and you make that work for you. Yeah. You know, it's very easy. You know, at, at, at the new place at Turst, we're going to have 21 draft lines and probably 150 or 200 bottles. I think we're probably going to get the bases covered in there. Like, yeah. no problem. It's not It's not that it won't be a well-thought-out list, but it's very easy to be like, oh, we're just going to have, like, five vintages of this, or we're going to have, you know, four different iterations of this particular beverage um, I think if you're looking at more like if you're trying to do something with six draft lines and maybe 20 bottles, it's a little more difficult. But I think, you know, I mean, you you, you cover your like your Pilsner, your Stout, your Pale, your IPA. If you get the basics in, I think, you know, I've always done like half the list should be, you know, well-made and profitable kind of things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know? And then, you know, that gives you plenty of room to mess around. You could be like, oh, I'm going to put on this strange... Because I'm sure a lot of places would have that be more like 90% of the list. <laughs> like, you're, yeah. you know, you're probably a little bit more adventurous than some. Like, hey, I want to experiment with things. You know, yeah, other you people know. are like, yeah, we'd like to make more money. You right. know what I mean? Exactly. And like, I, I mean, I get it. You know, you got to have some balance. Clearly, someone has to either to be like, dude, you can't put on all those beers at once. Right. You know, like it just, it's not a good idea. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But also in terms of service, right? Like there's yeah. got to be people who want to recognize something. Or they whatever. do. Because I think of myself as a mature, sophisticated American drinker and I don't know anything about these beers. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you, if you just scare people away from the get-go, then it's it's hard to like, to get them to trust you to drink something, I think. Do you find, because I always thought you were good at that, do you find that that's key to kind of like build the trust thing and then move people along? Or is it easier with beer than it would be with wine? Or It's, I mean, it's 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 easier. It's also like sometimes harder because I feel like a lot of people with wine go into it thinking like, oh, it's wine and I don't know anything about this. Oh. 
But you people know. are like, hey, it's beer, so I know everything. Well, they feel like because brand recognition in beer is, I feel like, you know, it's it's definitely, a, 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 you know, a, a lot bigger phenomenon in beer than I, f- I found it to be in wine because yeah. with wine, it's, you know, branding was not historically like a big thing, clearly, you know, in Burgundy or whatever. Well, you, I mean, yeah, we yeah, exactly. I understand what you mean. Um, I mean, compared to the huge breweries. Yeah, I mean, like everyone knows different. Budweiser and there's, right. I don't think there's really like a wine equivalent. I mean, there's Yellowtail and all that stuff, but like, you know. Yeah, where it was like incredibly pervasive, like where it was the whole market for yeah. a long time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. was like Bud and Miller and that was your option. And that was it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think there's the extent to where even people now who feel like, oh, like I know beer and they'll be like, oh, you know, Brooklyn Lager or, or you know, one of the Six Points Brews or one of the others because they're, you know, they're very popular. That's actually me. I always do the yeah. Six Points. Six well, points yeah, which is great. I mean, like, I think it's so nice that we have a couple of, like, you know, good local breweries that, like, if you go to pretty much any bar, and I, I, may, I just, I sometimes take for granted that you can go to, like, any bar pretty much in the Manhattan, Brooklyn area and get a locally made beer. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's good. I mean, right. I think, like, 10 years ago, that wasn't, that wasn't the case. That was just 10 years ago. Yeah. So, like, within our own lifetimes. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I remember there would be those ads, and it would be like, uh, oh, are you going to make some craft brew? Like, don't you want something consistent that you can trust, a name <laughs> that you know? And instead, you're going to have some lumpy, like, guy made it in his closet, like, <laughs> craft brew. And that would be, like, on during a Super Bowl or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, big dollars behind reinforcing the, the normal. It's you crazy. know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I, I don't. You know, to my discredit, don't have the numbers with me right here, but I sure, remember reading I mean, that um, you know beer as a market has actually gone up in spite of the shaky market conditions elsewhere in this country. Um, but that um, well, that makes sense to me because people don't want to spend crazy dough on you know. Yeah, they do. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they're they're like, buying more beer, and but the uh, the percentage of sales that are going to like Budweiser and Miller and Coors and the other big macro brews has actually gone down. Oh, okay. So okay, this is okay. all going into so like, while the beer market has gone up the. The yeah. majors have lost share. They have lost share. So, like, we're looking at a lot of, like, you know, you know, whatever, craft or, you know, small batch kind of stuff. I mean, I'm sure a lot of that is also going to, like, some of the, the larger, like, micros, like Sierra Nevada and that sure, kind of stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Um, which, you know. That's a good beer, though. I mean, I, yeah. I think. I don't know. You know, it's it's a classic. Yeah. You know, like, the, the stuff that comes out of Anchor, like Anchorstein. I think the, you know, people get all into what's the next big thing. and like, Right. You know, like now saisons are huge, and before it was, is that true? Yeah, uh, is that because people are doing less alcohol, or saisons gotten higher in alcohol? Which one of those? I think it's both. a little bit of both. Yeah, the average saison I feel like has gone up to like six to seven percent. Seems like cheap. Um, but the, you know, I think people just got like worn out drinking big double IPAs yeah. and all that stuff. I mean, they're yeah. just, well, wasn't that like an American thing for a while? Like yeah. we want high alcohol and also super hoppy. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Was, it was like, like a moment. I want high alcohol and tons of oak. Yeah, no, I, I, that's how I think about it. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. It's, but, uh, like, cocktails are going through that right now. Like, yeah, I want to cascade just Negroni. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you want to put it in wood? Yeah. Really? <laughs> like, and, like, I, I, I like the idea of it, but I've never had a cascade Negroni that tasted better than a Negroni. They just, always suck. I just, yeah, I'm like, yeah. they're a little, like, weird and round. And, you know, yeah. I don't know. They're always weird. We- weirdly disjointed. Like, I imagine if you really, really... Spend some time and money and did it right. You can mm. make a great one, but I have yet to encounter it. Yeah, and I think a lot of us also people are doing in these tiny barrels, and they're clearly not. This is, I mean, like you know, I appreciate their their gumption, but these people, as a general rule, don't barrel age things. You know, it's right. not like you're you have some cellar master, right? Who's who, got some experience with this idea? Yeah, and like, like you know, master blender of the Negroni, exactly. And like, how many of us out there? I mean, myself included, would like know how to approach a good cooper and pick out a really like right. quality barrel. Yeah. You know, what kind of toast would you like? I don't know. Something with butter. Oh, yeah, Oh, you meant you were asking yeah. me about the Oak. Oh, yeah, all right. exactly. You know, and uh, I, that's a huge, a huge Slovenia versus Slo- Slovakia. Oh, I don't know. I don't they know. They both make, are those, those <laughs> countries? What are those? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think that's, you know, I mean, I think that's part of the good and bad of like the way sort of, I found like, you know, beer and spirits, and I, I don't know if it's as, as prevalent in wine, but everyone is suddenly going this like craft artisanal thing, and sure. that's awesome because it's, it's a lot of people who are trying to like push the boundaries of what you know what's acceptable to do. Um, There's a lot of know, different kinds of pickles out there. Tons of pickles, like chocolate, like all this. It's something <laughs> everyone's like trying to like you know we're going to really delve into what makes great anything. I think it's an arms race between pickles and bitters. Seriously, like who can have more? Is it going to be pickles <laughs> or will it be bitters? Right, you know. Yeah, 
Pickle bitters is going to be the end. I'm, you know, I'm, maybe be the, I'm going to go home and make some of they're that. They're going to converge. They converge. It's going to be a real strange cute Dill, number. pickle, bitters. You know, just perfect for the pickleback, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you brought another beer. What do you got there? Yeah, this is called... Let's drink some more, Mr. Yeah, Langley. There we go. This is called Even More Jesus. Oh, perfect. He, um... This is your own personal Jesus? My, yeah, exactly. In some countries, they call this even more Jesus, I think, right? Actually, <laughs> he actually did a version of this beer this year. Uh, this is the first batch that came out. Um, so this is another one that's about a year old. Um, he did a, a version in Spain. Oh, really? He called it uh, Un Mas. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. I think it got rate beers like, I don't know, it's like 100 rating or whatever on... People pay attention to rate beer, right? They do. And like, rate beer and beer advocate. Like, yeah. You know, for the I think for the most part, the community has been pretty good about not, you know, you know, judging things to style instead of just like, oh, this is bigger and better, yada, yada. So, but this is um, clearly... Not a not a saison. <laughs> yeah, clearly not a saison. I mean, it's 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 a pretty massive beer. It's about twelve percent alcohol by volume, and um, I think I don't think it tastes oppressive or heavy for a beer of that of that. No, it's really nice on a cold day like this one. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's a cool beer, like real roasty, real roasty. Like real, you can follow yeah. it all the way through with the chestnut roasty. Mm-hmm. Mm. Good character. Yeah, it's cool. You know, reminds me of something I can't quite put my head on it. Like my finger. Mm-hmm. Um, it has like a slight like like smoked earth thing going on. I like I don't know for a fact, but I wouldn't be surprised if he had a little bit of like peated malt in here. I, sh- it, I should ask him. It actually reminds me of Malthus Barola. You know that that Italian beer, the chestnut beer. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what it reminds me. Huh. I mean, not the same, but yeah, similar. Good. Which yeah. is a beer I like. Oh, cool. So tell me more about the new place. You're going to serve in wine glasses. Yeah. You're going to have girls in old, you know, like uh, Catholic schoolgirl uniforms, uh-huh. including you. The whole dancing. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be the head dancer. <laughs> um, no, but seriously. I mean. Yeah, I mean, the idea is, um, you know, we have access to these wonderful beers. Yeah. Um, Yopa has, sort of, he's a, he's a, in Denmark, he's a beer importer. Yeah. So he already has relationships with all these brewers around Europe. Um, since he's a gypsy brewer and brews at other people's places, he's got, you know, more connections there. So the idea being that because he knows all these people. He knows some peeps. Yeah, we should, you know, ideally be able to get in some exclusive some stuff. Some cool stuff. Yeah, and, you know, he's going to brew stuff exclusively for the bar as well, um, which is great. Do you and, see that as a growing trend? Yeah. Where people are like, I'm going to have stuff just for this. Yeah. Makes it interesting for people to go there. It does, you know. Because um, I remember the brew pub thing was big when I was a little kid, but uh-huh. it wasn't, didn't carry through a it's long It's a tough time, business but, model. Yeah. Like you know, where they're actually making beer there, but that you're not doing that. You're bringing things that have been made for you, but not there. Yeah, the space, unfortunately, as nice as it would be to have a gigantic fermenting tank. Um, in New York, yeah. rent is mm-hmm. what you're saying, because you're cutting out seats. and you. Yeah, yeah, you, exactly. You lose a lot of seats, and it's just it's difficult to do. And so he, um, he, you know, one of the places he brews, he brews down in South Carolina, and then he does some brewing, and um, he's going to start brewing in Connecticut. They just open up a big, basically like contract brewery, where he, um, since we sort of have known the guy since the get-go, um, Yopa gets to go there and brew beer on their, like, gigantic, crazy, state-of-the-art system. It's I went there to visit with him. It's really, it's pretty spectacular. So, and, you know, and then he still does some stuff in, in Belgium and in Denmark and in Spain. Um, so, so uh, well, like, there's some, yeah. there's some geographic diversity there. Yeah. But it, oh, what's the style going to be? Are we, it's going to be like rustico looking, or is it going to be like high gloss, or yeah, what are we talking about? Here? Pretty like ideally, pretty like minimal. Um, that's that's what they're going for, and it's that's you know how it's looking. We have a, a company called Home that did the design, and then we have um, I believe they're called Precision is the people who are building it, and and they're they're pretty they're really fantastic. They and yeah, we did a lot of like uh, the, I think the aesthetic idea was somewhere in between like Scandinavian. Kind of like, um, kind of look and feel to it since, um, okay. I mean, Yopa's from Denmark and the, the, so head, clean, open, light. Yeah, clean, open, a lot of wood. Um, you know, and, and the, the gentleman who's doing the food, um, Dan Burns, who had worked, you know, is in the Mamafuku test kitchen. He worked at Noma. Um, 
I've heard of those places. Yeah, so since he he did a lot of work at, at Noma and lived in, in Denmark for a while, I think oh, you know, we wanted to really it. tie in the Scandinavian thing. And we all kind of live either in Greenpoint or Williamsburg, like that area. So I mean, we sort of wanted to be like part Brooklyn, part Scandinavian. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like this is you know our neighborhood. We've all been there for like a little while, and we you know certainly don't want to be not part of the neighborhood. You know, we, mm-hmm. we want to like you know, oh, you know, we're, we're doing Greenpoint meets uh, Denmark. Got it. So, when do you expect to open? March 1st. So, I'm super excited. Um, We have, you know, a few nice things. We have, like, two uh, keg rooms. Uh So, we'll have beer at two different temperatures. So, things like when we get this, we can serve it, like, close to cellar temperature, like around 50 degrees. That's got to be really helpful. That's it's and you know I don't know I'm sure I'm sure there's somewhere in New York I just don't know off the top of my head that does like multiple temperature keg rooms so you know we'll have like the the really cold one and then one that we could do cellar temperature and are you gonna do some like special beer pairings or just kind of more on the fly yeah um ideally once the actual restaurant opens um because at first we're just gonna do you know cheeses and charcuterie and and Mm -hmm. pickles bitter pickles mostly (laughs) um but once that opens I think we're we're shooting for beginning of May. To do the restaurant, I'm, you know, we're, I think we're going for like five courses, all beer pairings. Oh, um, cool. I mean, I think the idea, you know, we're still kicking around some ideas, but I think potentially we'll do like once a month, hold like a panel where, you know, we might be like, oh, hey, Levy, you should come down and like we're going to taste through some beers and food. And, you know, we'll just have, you know, we have, we all know enough people in the industry that I think it'd be fun to just have different people come in and guest every week or every month at, when we change the menu and just work on the pairings with us. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I don't know anyone who would be like, yeah, I don't really want to come drink with you. Well, I'd know people like that. But <laughs> I don't, I I don't know I anyone who would say it about you. <laughs> if you put my name in there, they might. Yeah, they'd be like, just so you know, Levy's going to be there. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, I'm busy that yeah, day. Yeah, root, root canal. <laughs> you know. So one of the things that's interesting about you is that you have some experience pairing wine with food, but you also have a lot of experience pairing beer with food. How, how are those the same and how are they different? You know, I, I think... A lot of the same rules apply. I mean, like the the clearly obvious, you don't necessarily want to drink a big Amarone with like tilapia. Mm-hmm, sure. I mean, I think that that same sort of like you wouldn't want to drink like a massive imperial stout with like, you know. Crudo. Crudo. You know, I think it would just be a waste of both things, which are delicious on their own and together just become a big mess. Um, you know, I, I find with beer, like acidity levels aren't always as much of a, as important as with wine, but just because I don't, you know, beer city levels, unless you're talking sours or goods or anything like that, which I love to pair with food. Um, but, you know, that's just a, a small segment of what's available out there that you're mostly dealing with, like, bitterness levels and sugar levels. The acidity is not that high, usually. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, beer is acidic enough, like, the tr- you know, that it basically kills bacteria, uh-huh. which is, you know, a lot of traditionally white people would make it because it's safer to drink than water. Um, but unless you're talking about specifically an acidic or a sour beer, no. Nah. Um, and I find like, just sort of like with wine, like where I find like certain levels of acidity don't pair well with things. Like I've also found bitterness is to be the same thing. Like I personally don't drink a lot of like IPAs with food. Mm-hmm. I just think um, I I find them to be aggressive. And the, and one, the one thing I really like to do is um, I do like actually like big IPAs with things like chicken wings. Not because I think they go especially well together, but if you're going to have two things that don't go well together, I want them to both be intense. And <laughs> right, right. <laughs> just duke it out. I had a relationship right. like that once. Yeah, you know, they're fun for, for what, you know, a little while, but... Um, she was Italian. Yeah, oh yeah, they no, they can do that. A lot of it. broken things, bones, lamps. Sure, you are, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Passionate people. Yeah, you know. Um, but, you know, I do find in general, like, unless you're talking about something extreme in the beer world, um, beer is fairly forgiving of a pairing is that true yeah, you know i think you know like it's like with champagne you've got like the sort of cleansing aspect of it and unless you're doing an, an incredibly bitter or an incredibly strong beer like if you're dealing with a, a pale or a pilsner or like a you know a beer to swath or even a saison i think the reason why saisons have become so popular is because i think food and beer has sort of come into its own instead of just beer being an, an after work drink or just something you just drink at a bar like actually having beer with food has become more popular and saisons are like the like an easy go to. You can probably drink a saison with just about anything and be like, yeah, that was really good. And what's a beer to swath? Oh, uh, like beer. You know, there are these. I don't. It's they're hard to find. Not many people drink them. They're generally. I mean, beer for being thirsty. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You know, so it's is um, that lower alcohol? Yeah, low alcohol. I mean, usually they're like two, three, maybe four percent alcohol. Oh, that's pretty low. 
It's pretty low. And it's selling that to people. You know, we had one on at DBGB for a while by a brewery called Jester King at Boston. Uh, it was called uh, Le Petit Prince. And it was a beautiful beer. And I think it clocked in at 2.9% alcohol. And I bought it. And they were, you know, 750 mLs, big bottles. And I thought, who, who is going to buy this? Yeah. I'm like, I love this beer and I think it's great. But, like, everyone's going to be like, well, I'm not paying that much money for that little alcohol. Because I think that sort of mentality is still sometimes in place. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, you know, you have them and they're refreshing and they're crisp. And, um, you know, they don't have this sort of big malty viscous viscosity to them. And they do have a nice sort of like tangy, like wild acidity to them. And there's usually a little bread, sometimes some like lacto going on. So, you know, I think they're cleansing and they, they really, they go well with like, unless, again, unless you're doing something massive on the food scale, you know, like smoked ribeye, whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, you know, their saisons in general are a pretty safe bed. And the beard of swath, especially like on a summer day. And it's it's near impossible to get drunk on them. So you yeah you can just drink them yeah. all day long and you just hang out and eat cheese and have meat and drink beer to swaff and only ever get to the point where you're like you know what life is pretty good. I'm thinking yeah. So so in that that way that pairing spectrum is kind of like champagne where you can mm-hmm. have champagne with a lot of stuff you know yeah. quite often. And I I find it rarely disappoints you know. I mean one of my favorite things is every now and then like champagne and popcorn. Is that true? I, yeah, I think it's I think it's beautiful together. You know, something a little on the richer, fruitier end. I mean, the flip side of that is like if you're going to spend money on champagne, right? Then like you maybe, can also then <laughs> like only afford popcorn. Only if, yeah, yeah. yeah, if exactly. you're like me, you and me. Yeah. yeah, as long as it's not like a, a drenched in butter popcorn. I think champagne and popcorn. It's one of my somewhat trashy. We'll have to try it together sometime. Yeah, definitely. John Langley, you're a gentleman and a scholar. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. He will be opening his new restaurant, Tourist, in Greenpoint, roughly March 1st. Looking forward to what he's going to be up to, Mr. John Langley. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs... And so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.